once I claim that my presence has impact and how I show up matters and that I am the author of that, nobody can take that away from me. I always have to come back to, all right, Denise, how am I showing up? What is the energy I'm putting off? And what's the little thing I can do to shift right now to help things go better? Welcome to the Best Self Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder Nazar and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers and maximize everyone's potential. Our guest today, Anise Kavanaugh, helps people show up, bring their best selves to the table, and create significant positive impact in their lives. The creator of the IEP method, which stands for Intentional Energetic Presence, she's a speaker, advisor, and thinking partner to leaders around the world and author of Contagious Culture, Show Up, Set the Tone, and Intentionally Create an Organization that Thrives, which came out in 2015. She's a leading voice on intention, energy, and presence in leadership and culture. She helps people unlock greater potential, collaborate more inspiringly, communicate more openly, intuit more bravely, and lead more joyfully and effectively. Innovators in companies like IDEO, Zingerman's, Cooper, GM Financial, Vistaprint, Fitbit, Kaiser Permanente, and others have engaged with Anise to strengthen team health, maximize leadership impact, and optimize company culture. She recently published The Leader You Will Be, an invitation, and is currently working on Contagious You, Unlock Your Power to Influence, Lead, and Create the Impact You Want, coming out in 2019. Anise, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Really excited to dive into the conversation around the body of work that you've been producing and how to help companies be more intentional. Thanks for having me, you guys. Excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm particularly excited to have you here, given you know the work we've actually done together. Uh, for those of you listening, we had Anise come and do a session at our annual company-wide retreat last year, and it was extraordinary. And a lot of her principles we've built into uh, things we do every day inside our product, inside, you know, they've influenced our product. We use some of her technology in our leadership uh, meetings, and so I'm excited to get into that. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what intentional energetic presence is and how does it help leaders in the workplace? And, and also how you get away with using three words that are typically not uh, common vernacular in the business world. Right. <laughs> intentional, energetic, and presence. Okay. Uh, okay, great. So, all right. Intentional energetic presence. I shorten it with IEP. And basically I look at it in two different ways. It's your being intentional about the energetic presence that you bring into everything you do. So basically how you show up in the world with the people around you, how you show up for yourself and what is the energetic presence you walk into any conversation with. And then the second part of that, where I get to put those three words together, Shane, are you know, if you take the three words and take them apart, you've got intention, which is what you want to have happen. You have energy, which is what is the energy that you're bringing to the table, you know, your energy and stamina to actually make those things happen. And then there's your presence, which is how present you are in the moment and how you're showing up in doing those things. So if you put that all together, you have intentional energetic presence. We created a methodology out of it, which is the IEP method to make it even simpler for people. And, you know, basically the idea is that no matter what we say or do, there is always something that's communicating even more loudly underneath it. And it is usually our energetic presence. It's how people are 
responding to us. It's how people experience us. You know, it's the vibe that we're bringing into anything that we do. And the second piece of that is that when you look at your intentional energetic presence, a huge part of that is how we're taking care of ourselves so that we have the energy and the stamina to do the work that all of us do. Yeah, that's great. So that's how business leaders. You know, I, I would imagine that for some people, you know, these these concepts may be a little, they might seem a little soft or or whatnot. So can you help us paint a picture of what it looks like when someone has a very positive or strong energetic presence versus not, you know, so to have people relate to experiences they may have had interacting with other people and being able to kind of notice that? Sure, of course. Well, I think anybody listening to this, we've all had the experience of walking into a room or being in a meeting and somebody else walks in or starts to speak up and the whole, the energy of the room drops. Like mm-hmm. you feel everything get tight and contracted. And it's just like, oh gosh, that guy's here again. Or we've had the experience of having a conversation with even a friend and we're feeling really, really good. And then all of a sudden that friend's energy is lower. They're putting off, you know, like the short of it is like putting off a, a funky vibe. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden we start to match that. So we start to feel ourselves getting tired, just hanging out with this person. Yeah. And so, you know, if you, if you look at it, it, no matter, you know, for somebody who's got really strong IAP, they've got the skills. And, and I think the simplest way of looking at it is like a feedback conversation. You're going in to give feedback to somebody. You could have the most profound feedback model in the world and be giving the person the best feedback of their life. However, if your intentions, your energy, and your presence are not clear and clean in giving that feedback to them, they're not going to receive it in the same way. Mm. One of the things that I really took away from your work is the idea that our energetic presence has a disproportionate impact on other people. It's like the primary thing that is creating impact in any interaction is our energetic presence. It's so, you know, we think, oh, it's actually the words I'm saying that are having an effect on people, but it's really what's my energetic presence behind those words that is having a disproportionate impact. And so if we want to have more positive impact on the people that we're around and as a leader, then we need to get intentional with our energetic presence. We need to understand that is what's really driving the experience and then uh, bringing intentionality to that so we don't show up as the black hole in a room. Right, and I think the intentional piece, it starts with actually being able to notice where you are and that I now notice a lot more. And I think your, your work has definitely helped further this along for me. But I notice if I walk into a room with my team and I'm in a bad mood or I'm emotionally challenged or, you know, whatnot, it changes the entire dynamic of the interaction versus if I walk in completely enthused and I've taken care of myself and I'm rested, maybe, you know, I've had some exercise, I feel great, I'm strong. That energy carries through and it changes again, positively, the dynamic of the, you know, the relating or the meeting and whatnot. And I wonder if you, have you, have you ever done any kind of thinking in terms of some of the, like the neuroscience? I know we have these mirror neurons, for example, that I've done some study about that, you know, we tend to take on almost like uh, feelings and emotions and things from other people based on, you know, facial expressions and other things. And is, is there a component to that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because I'm working on the next book right now and I actually have a neuroscientist that I'm working with for one of the chapters. And we've been looking at, you know, like heart math talks about, you know, our vibration, our energetic field can be felt way beyond where we we most often think it is like six, seven feet out and even further. And then you look at neuroscience with the mirror neurons. We, when we see somebody within seven seconds, we're making a decision if we like them 
and trust them and want to hang out with them within seven seconds. And some research even says it's within two tenths of a second that we make that decision. Wow. And so it doesn't matter how strong somebody comes in with all their skills and their credentials and all that stuff. If their energetic presence is not something that is actually, you know, creating responsiveness in the field, then they're, they're automatically setting themselves up to work against what's in that room. Got it. I'd love to weave this concept with the idea that um, it's a concept that I've heard and resonated with is that the CEO is the, sets the emotional thermostat for the entire company. And I think yeah. this probably is similar for other senior leaders that setting the, the emotional thermostat. So can you talk about the impact of high or low IEP with a leader and, a, and founders inside of a company? Oh, sure. Sure. And, and, and just to add on to that, I would say that every, you know the leader, the, the higher position you are in leadership, the more, I believe, you know, obviously the more responsibility we have to make sure that we're setting a positive and contributory tone. However, I also have found that it doesn't matter if the person is lowest level or admin or even a janitor in an organization, that we all have the ability to shift the tone in how we hold our energetic state. So I just want to add that in there. It's, a lot of times people go, well, I don't have any power of this because I'm not the CEO. Well, actually, no, it doesn't matter. If you're a human being that wants to have more impact and feel better, you can set the tone. You just have to have the strongest intention. So with the with the CEO or any leader walking into a room, you know, the intentions, the energy, and the presence that they bring into that room is the thing that will set the tone that what other people will do in the, in the group is they will start to match that person's tone. So there's a way that there's a rule that I call it's the lowest vibration in the room will win unless there is somebody in there that can hold a higher vibration. So if a executive or anybody walks into a room really, really low vibe, it's easier to match that low vibe and to match the darker energy than it is to hold a higher state unless you're aware of how you're showing up and you're aware of the state that you're in. And then you can actually hold that higher state and invite other people to step into it. It doesn't always work, but it's better than not having it at all. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Self-awareness. What a, what a gift for sure. And I think that, you know, when you talked about like the capacity to hold that kind of higher vibe, uh, yeah, and this I don't think this stuff happens by accident. I think that there, you know, if you really want to take this on as a leader, you've got to you've got to train, in a way. Uh, one of the one of the, you mentioned HeartMath, for example. I've looked at their work. Uh, one of the things that they do, and I actually have the little HeartMath device, which is a great thing. You know, if you're wanting to do kind of like emotional training, um, yeah. they give you this biofeedback in real time to tell you whether your heart, based on the heart rate variability, is in what they call coherence or not. And as it turns mm -hmm. out when we're in a state of gratitude or appreciation, our heart actually changes its rhythm and falls into the state of coherence uh, where, you know, a lot of, you know, well-being and the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in. The body goes into rest and repair. And uh, fascinating studies that show that if you take three people in coherence in a room and, you know, bring someone unawares into the room, that fourth person will fall into coherence with the three. And so, you know, they're actually showing scientifically the effect of what you're talking about. And there are yeah. ways to learn how to train our nervous systems to hold that state of coherence or that high energetic presence. Something that I love that you're doing is that you're taking these ideas that aren't necessarily radical for certain communities, for people that are more in the personal development and kind of contemplative paths in life, but you're bringing this into the heart of corporate business. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit around, you know, because I think a lot of people, when they hear these things, they think, oh, well, that's cool. And I can explore that on my own, but my company would never buy in on something like mm. this. And, mm -hmm. and I know that you 
you work with so many businesses. So I'd love to hear a little bit around both the kind of dispelling the myth that business isn't ready for this type of information, as well as what is some of the resistance that you experience uh, of bringing these concepts into the business world? Oh, sure. Gosh, that's a great question. I, uh, one thing just to add, just to pile onto this conversation is there was a study that was done back in the 90s by UCLA and they looked at emotions and attitudes and how they're communicated. And they found that 93% of our communication happens in you know, our facial expressions, body language, and tone of voice. So 93% is really in our presence. And only 7% they found was in the words. And this was related specifically to attitudes and emotions. And so I just, I just wanted to add that piece in there because I think that it's interesting to look at, you know, when you look at, can, are organizations ready for this or not? My belief, and of course, I'm a little biased, is that organizations don't have the time not to be considering this stuff because we are moving at such a quick pace and we're getting, we have more and more technology, more and more ways to be connected, yet there's more loneliness, there's more depression, like all these different pieces. And so I think one of the biggest organizations we brought this work into recently was a huge, uh, very analytical company who they had invested a ton of money into leadership training, you know, cultural uh, diversity and uh, inclusion initiatives, like all these different pieces, and it still wasn't clicking. And so they decided to bring the IEP work in, which they knew was very different and they knew would be a little bit probably pushing on some people's comfort zones. But we brought that work in and we did a launch for 200 of their core people in the company and what happened was they said that for the first time they could actually access the full benefit of the other training because what happened was this the other trainings was giving people fantastic skills and different leadership models and all these things are super super important but it wasn't addressing the energetic presence it wasn't addressing the intentions of the people doing it it wasn't addressing the self care and so what was happening was people had all these great skills and models However, they're coming to work, they're burnt out, they're not intentional, they're not present, all this stuff. So it doesn't line up. And so when I think about what's happening right now, like we are moving fast and it's not going to change. We're going to always be moving fast. So we have to get better. And so one of the things that we can get better at is being really, really conscious about how we show up, how we show up for ourselves, how we show up for each other and being really, really, really conscious about our intentions, our energy and our presence in anything we do. And then that is what kind of unlocks that next level of potential to help people work together even more effectively, I believe. You've mentioned self-care a few times. Um, yeah. Can you give just a couple of practical tips or techniques? You know, if, if someone finds themselves, you're, whether you're a leader, you're an employee, whatever it is, you're, you're in a situation, you're going to be having a conversation with someone, you're going to be going into the workplace, and you notice you're kind of gripped by something. Maybe you're, you know, something happened, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you're you're, you're having a bad day. And uh, what are some things that you can do to regain control and shift into a higher? Great. Uh, I think breath. Breath is always the first place that I start with. You know, it's funny, you guys, because people think about self-care and they automatically go, well, I got to take a day off. I got to get a massage. I got to take a bath. Like all these different things that self-care is traditionally phrased as. And when I think about self-care, I think in that moment when you're overwhelmed, can you take a moment to just catch your breath and to really, really breathe in the moment so you can create a little bit of space around you to decide what you're going to do next? So breath is something that happens in the cracks. The way we talk to ourselves, you know, if I'm moving really quickly and I'm having a bad day, if I can stop for just a moment 
and get present to how am I speaking to myself right now in my head? And how can I shift that so it's actually life-giving versus soul-sucking? Like that right there to me is an act of self-care. You know, saying yes when I mean yes and no when I mean no, that's an act of self-care. So, I mean, we we could go on and on and on on this one. I'm happy to. You know, similar note, how do we uh, at, at an organizational level build cultures of self-care versus cultures of soul-sucking, soul-crushing, uh, non-self-care. Mm, mm, love that. Uh, I, I think we make it in our agreements from the very beginning. I think we make it as part of our a core value. I think we make it a part of the onboarding process. I think that we you know, meet with our teams. And I think you guys, you guys do this. I know you do an IEP check. You just mentioned this at the beginning of your Monday morning meetings. I, I, you know, I think we just make it a part of our agreements with each other that we're going to honor self-care in honor of us being our best for each other and in honor of the results we're trying to create. If the higher level or if the upper level leadership is modeling that, then it makes it even more safe and cool for everybody else to do that. And then before you know it, you've got a culture of you know self-care is actually okay and, and celebrated. The other thing we do is we stop bragging about how busy we are. <laughs> like it's a badge of honor. Right. How little sleep I got because I'm working so yeah. hard. Like, right. That, yes, that's going to give me a promotion. We go into this, actually, if you've listened to our podcast with Joe McClinsky, they do some really great practices around that, supporting their employees in sleep and giving them two hours every Friday for time for themselves. Uh, oh, beautiful. Yep. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of deconditioning that we need to do as business leaders, you know, because there's almost this idea of self-care as antithetical to productivity. Mm-hmm. And so can you just break that down a little bit for us of why that is such a false myth that we really need to discard? Yeah. Oh, gosh, please. Uh, okay. So if we're exhausted, well, first of all, we can't, you can't leave from burnout. You just can't. You're not fully resourced. You can't make your best decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if we're exhausted, we're not in our best resource state to actually bring the best of ourselves to our work. The other piece of that is, you know, I, I had in the last year, you guys, I've been in so many different rooms where the organization has either recently lost someone to suicide or one of the rooms I was in a couple months ago, they had just lost one of their executives to a heart attack. And the group actually said they'd been resisting self-care for so long because it was the, the whole, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That that whole, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. We don't have time. We're entrepreneurs. So the group had just lost somebody um, to a heart attack, actually. And they offered an ease. We get it. Like we can't, not only are we not going to be fully resourced if we're not taking care of ourselves. So, you know, making our best decisions from a place of full resource, excuse me. Uh, not only will we not be able to do that, but we can't lead if we're dead. And so for that company, for that team in particular, they got the lesson the really hard way for other organizations. Like the invitation is just to look at it really as an invitation. And, you know, if you, if you look really honestly at your team right now, we just break this down to a team level. If you look really honestly at your team right now, how much energy is on that team? You know, are people coming to work because they want to be at work? Or are they coming to work because they have to come to work? Are people using uh, the badge of busy and burnout and exhaustion? You know, is, are they using that as a badge because that's part of what your cultural norms have gotten set up with? And so therefore self-care is taboo? Or can you get it to where you're actually celebrating those moments where it's like, no, I actually took good care of myself and look at the amount of productivity I was actually able to do because I took that extra day for myself or because I started to integrate one IEP practice into my morning or whatever it might be. You know, the, the severe answer you guys is depression, suicide, like heart disease, like all these different things. People are dying 
And so I believe as leaders, it is our responsibility, especially if we're running organizations, we have a responsibility, not ability, but ability to get in there and to start to really reframe the way we're holding self-care in a way that is an invitation and that it's celebrated. And that it's not this big, huge, heavy thing that we have to do every single day that's going to be totally labor intensive, but it's just something that we can start as leaders to model in the cracks so that other people have more permission. Yeah. And I I think it comes down to, you know, there's a lot of studies that show when you work over 40 hours a week, you're not getting the same level of productivity when you work longer, harder hours, you know, and then you you often hear people say, oh, you know, I don't have time to go to the gym. Uh, But it's been my experience and the people, you know, I I relate with who, who do have a practice of exercising regularly that, you know, they're far more productive in the seven hours after they've exercised from an hour than they would be if they just worked eight hours and not taking care of themselves. And uh, I think we need to start thinking about those things. It's not about the number of hours you're at the computer or in the chair or at the office. It's the output. It's the, it's the, the energy, right. That you bring to the interactions. You know, at one point I think Tim Ferriss was saying, you know, most people can't really work more than like really work intensely focused, you know, contributive work more than four hours a day. Something that you're not going to hear most CEOs ever say. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, I, I try to optimize my sleep and get at least eight hours of sleep every night because I know if I don't, I don't have the the level of stamina and focus that I need to do my job effectively. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's starting, the tide is starting to turn around that. I know Ariana Huffington, for example, has been on a big crusade around, uh, around sleep and her research about that. And people are starting to realize like, oh, wow, there's actually really negative impacts if we don't sleep enough. It's not, it's not a badge of honor, you know, to be working 80, 90, 120 hour weeks. Um, although Elon Musk, I believe, uh, didn't respond very favorably to her open letter to him about that. So not everyone's quite come around, mm-hmm. but, but I do believe that uh, I think moving to a model where we're really well-resourced and have the tools to show up powerfully has us be more effective in the moments and doesn't require us to work as long and hard as we, we need to, especially in this day and age when, you know, by and large, the work we're doing is creative in nature, you know, and it's not manual labor. I agree. I mean, I think other things that occur to me when I'm just listening to you talk about this is like, So one of my ways of looking at self-care is looking at in every moment, am I creating expansive energy? Are the thoughts I'm thinking is the way I'm breathing? Is my level of presence, is it creating expansion in this moment or is it creating contraction? And I think that's a really simple way for people to start to look at how they're moving through their days because even that awareness of going, oh, you know what? I'm actually really uh, contracted right now. I'm breathing really shallowly. Like I'm not actually taking care of myself in this moment. Just that awareness, if I can stop and come back to that breath again, I guess the reason I'm offering it is I'm just thinking about all these different pieces. There's the sleep, there's the workouts, there's all these different things that people can tend to get overwhelmed by. And so I want to create little moments of awareness for them that just that feeling of, am I expanding or am I contracting? That in itself is self-care. And that might inform you. It might lead you to the next step of what is it you actually need. So do you need a workout? Do you need more sleep? Do you need right. different food, et cetera, et cetera? I love coming back to the breath as the as maybe even the one takeaway from this entire conversation because it does have such a, a tremendous link to our nervous systems. And, um, you know, the, we have this sympathetic nervous system, which, which gets involved when the fight or flight response uh, is activated, when we feel threat. It tends to trigger shallower breathing, right? And hyper-focus and some other things, but generally a contracted state. 
And uh, it's, it's so simple just to literally notice, okay, am I breathing from the top of my chest? Am I breathing in a shallow fashion more rapidly to start taking lower deeper breaths down into the, into the belly and longer breaths. And, and, and one surefire way to, you know, to snap out of the sympathetic nervous system back into the parasympathetic, which is that state of rest and repair, is to take, you know, maybe 10 deep breaths where you're breathing out about twice as long as you're breathing in. So maybe four seconds in and eight seconds out. And mm-hmm. you can very quickly, you know, kind of regain that sense of centeredness, you know, and then like you said, check in, okay, what's next? What do I need to, what do I need to do from here? Yeah, I, I think it's such a personal thing too. I, I, you know, it's something that I think you guys do so beautifully. And I'm, and I'm curious where this ties in for 15.5 because one of the things I've noticed is, you know, people that think that they're, like, I just worked with someone a couple weeks to the end. She thought she was working 60, 70 hours a week. That's what she thought. So she's like, I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to do this, et cetera, et cetera. So she went back and she started to track what she was actually doing. And she was only working 40 hours a week, but the story she was telling herself about her work and the story she was telling herself about, you know, she, she was not in alignment with the best use of her with her job. So the stuff that she's doing is not stuff that is in alignment with her purpose. And so therefore, she's not in alignment with her purpose. She's getting more easily fatigued. She's checking out, drinking more wine, watching more TV, all that good stuff. And then she feels like she's working 67 hours a week, but when she really looks at it, it's not. I've been curious about that, just watching about how that to me is another form of self-care in the stories that we tell ourselves about our work, the stories we tell ourselves about what self-care is, you know, how we're on purpose or not. And I, you know, back to my original point, like, I think you guys have done such a beautiful job with your organization. It feels like everybody that works there is so connected to purpose. And so I, I make up, I don't know this to be true, but I make up that there's an extra level of ease around self-care for 15.5 because the way you guys have set up around purpose and connection and all these different pieces. You know, one of the ways that we do that is through one of our core values is maximize your zone of genius. And so that really is about helping people understand what are their strengths and how can you align your strengths to your role and then ultimately to your purpose. And it really does, you know, because, you know, when we're thinking about energetic presence and how do we be a net add to people's energetic bank account, they don't end their week worse than they started it. They don't go home tired and burnt than when they came in in the morning. And so I think that strength alignment is such a huge piece to this conversation. Right. And another, yeah. another value we have is cultivate health and vitality, which so we encourage people to do what they need to do to take care of themselves and show up resourced because we understand the impact to everyone around them and their work if they're not. So there's one thing that, you know, because we're using some of the IEP technology, but I think we're only actually using half of it, which is, you know, in the beginning of our leadership meetings, we do an IEP check-in of where we're at. But I actually, David, and this is interesting, I think we're missing out on the intentional piece. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. we're naming the present state. You know, I, I think that like part of the magic sauce of your formula is how am I feeling and how do mm-hmm. I want to feel? That's the intentional piece. So can you break down for us a little bit, just bringing us back to this idea, we all have energetic presence and it has this massive impact on everything we do and everyone we interact with, but we also have intentionality. So help us understand the power that we all have to actually shift our state and be more intentional. Okay, great. So true, right. We all have energetic presence. And the way I look at it is we are always either contributing to the field detracting from the field or we're beige. And so there is, 
I'm either a positive contribution, a negative contribution. I'm just like this. So I get to be intentional about what I want that to look like. And so that's a piece of it that you're speaking to right now is before I even walk into a room, what is the impact I would like to have on this group of people or this one person or my child or whoever it might be? What is it I want to have? How do I want to be a contribution? And so even by setting that intention before I open that door, I'm already communicating with my system of how I want to show up differently. So it's the more I practice this, the more it's going to have me more quickly get grounded in my breathing and my intentionality uh, and all the good stuff that comes with that. So that's the intention part. And Shane, there's three parts of the IEP method. And we've been talking about, we've been talking about two of them basically. So the first part is the ability to reboot our presence in the moment. And there's an actual five-step reboot. We can get your listeners that information, everything if they want it. But there's an actual five-step reboot, which basically just the short of it is, am I present right now or am I not? And if I'm not, how do I want to show up? And I shift it. So it's, it's quick. The second piece is the ability to build a strong energetic field and foundation, which is what we've been talking about with self-care. And that energetic field and foundation includes everything. We've got four different quadrants and includes everything from your physical and environmental energy, you know, so how you're supporting yourself there. We look at your mental and emotional energy, how you support yourself there. We look at your vibrational energy and what you're actually putting out into the world. So is it supporting you or not? Is it, is it actually helping you create the impact you wish or not? And then we look at your relational energy, which is really interesting because it's about the energetic dynamics that are happening at any moment between myself and one other person or my organization or my entire culture. And ironically, when you look at those four quadrants, if you get the first three humming, you know, if you get physical, environmental, mental, emotional, and vibrational humming, relational energy is actually the easiest to address. And that's another IEP work is that most people think, oh my gosh, my relationships, is going to be so hard. I got to figure out how to get my team to do this. Well, no, if you actually take care of quads one through three, by the time we get to four, it's a lot smoother. So there's the second component is just the energetic field. We want to really strengthen that. And that's where I spend the majority in our programs. That's where we spend the majority of time with people. We are working on what we call their essential you, which is their core values, their purpose, like all the things that make us who we are. That's all in strengthening that energetic field so that I can stand as strongly and presently as possible and be as happy and congruent with myself so that I can put that energy out there and then more effectively serve other people. Fantastic. And then, yeah. And then the third piece is just the the part about creating intentional impact, which you guys have seen as that five-step framework, which is like, all right, I'm rebooting. I've got a strong energetic field. Now I'm going to put it all together. Well, before I walk into any meeting, I've got my five steps. What outcomes do I want? What emotional impact do I want to have on the people I'm with? You know, how am I going to have to show up to create that? What will I have to believe? And then what do I have to actually do? And when you put all that together, that's your entire methodology. (laughs) You know, and I love this because it's also thinking of, okay, this could have such a dramatic impact on an organization and on the people inside of that company. But it's also, it's not like like this stuff then ends when you leave the office. These are all skills that are going to dramatically improve any human being's life outside of work. And so that's, again, that's what yeah. I love is that as, as companies start to train their people on these type of, of techniques, that we can be having an impact far beyond them showing up and contributing to our company. That these are yeah. kinds of things that will stay with that person for the rest of their life. And that's where I think we want to be thinking about as business leaders is how can I permanently positively impact every person that walks through my company? Yeah, absolutely. I, 
you know, we, we just got to go. One of my favorite things we do at the end of every year is we look back at all the sessions we ran, all the people, all the, you know, the little stories that were sent in and people share their stories of what happened for them. And it's so funny, you guys, because I think the most common, there's two really common themes of feedback that we get. One is I didn't realize how much I'm at the center of my life. Like I didn't realize how everything around me, I'm impacting it. So it starts with me. I get to be the cause versus the effect of everything. So that's one of the pieces. Like I've got way more power than I realized I did. And it all starts with breath. (laughs) So that's really fun. The second bit of feedback that we get is people say, I had no idea how much this work would follow me home. And so they share stories about, you know, this helped me coach my kid's soccer team or you know, one that we got just this, a couple months ago was we had a participant who went through and then they eventually brought into their company, but she talks about how the IEP work helped her and her husband move through his stage four cancer and he passed. And she said that she was able to make that experience, for lack of a word, better word, better or more graceful because she had the tools and the resources to keep coming back to presence and to be there and to be with him and to help move through that transition. So that, you know, did the organization bring me in to help her for that? God, no, not at all. Was that one of the outcomes that I think is probably one of the most important things that could have happened for that person in that organization? Absolutely. So this does follow you everywhere. And the other thing is that once you have it, you can't lose it. Once I claim that my presence has impact and how I show up matters and that I am the author of that, nobody can take that away from me. And so even if I'm in a room and I'm things aren't going well, or I think the meeting is really terrible, I always have to come back to, all right, Denise, how am I showing up? What is the energy I'm putting off? And what's the little thing I can do to shift right now to help things go better? And if I've got a lot of toxicity around me, which I know happens, and we hear about this all the time as well, there's a lot of stuff coming at me, then it becomes my job to, and my opportunity, my power to take a deep breath, bubble up, you know, which is the way I think about it, bubble up, hold my space, and then decide what do I want to let in and what do I want to hold at bay so I can decide how to work with this better? So we really are so at choice around this. That's great. Amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, Anise, uh, it's been my experience. I mean, your work is, is just so brilliant. And, you know, I've, I've seen a pattern with folks who, who come out with, with new ways of thinking and doing things that oftentimes, you know, it's come from some deeply personal experience in their past. I'm curious you know, if, if you could share some of the story of how this all came to be, like where did the, where did all this come from, and and were there were there impactful uh, moments in your life that gave rise to you know the formulating all of this this thinking? So just in the last year, I've been being asked more questions like that, and I I've started to really look. It, it's had me really go back and look, and I mean, I can I can point to moments you know, in the fourth grade that were really powerful for me, with you know, with a teacher taking a moment to have strong, loving, intentional, energetic presence with me, which of course at that time, I didn't know that's what he was doing, but with the teacher taking that moment and that extra moment in education to help a student out who was like, you guys may or may not believe this, but I was incredibly painfully shy. (laughs) And, you know, I can think back to that. I can think my parents had a really rough divorce and I can think back to, you know, when I was 14 years old, scooping ice cream at Baskin Robbins and feeling really stressed out and miserable. And I was the oldest of four kids and we were having an adventure, like a rough adventure at that moment. And I can remember having this awareness come over me of, okay, what do I want to make this moment mean? 
Like, is the rest of my life going to suck because it's really hard right now? Or would I like to actually create a really awesome life? And I remember scooping, it was world-class chocolate. I was in the freezer. I was doing a double scoop. And while I was scooping it, these thoughts were coming through to me. And I think it's my first experience of intuition or decision or, you know, just choice really. Because by the time I came out of that freezer, I knew in my heart, I was like, no, actually, I'm going to create a really beautiful life. And so from that point on at about 14, which is just the beginning of freshman year, from that point on, I started to get really obsessed with, well, how do you create impact? And I also cared very much about self-care. I had a lot of people that I loved around me when I was young who didn't have great self-care. And I saw the impact of that. And so I think I just kind of became obsessed with performance and impact and leadership and self-care. And I just, that was kind of where it started. And then I had the gift of having a lot of different responsibilities at younger ages and putting myself through school and all these different pieces. And so I had a lot of stuff happening and I was going to school and working a bunch of jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I had the gift of having to learn how to make myself the best performer possible so I could stay happy and also have the impact I wanted. And then ultimately, I think that's what's led us to this point in many, many different ways. But that's kind of where I've been looking lately when people have asked me that question, like, where did this start? I honestly think it started like fourth grade, eighth grade, that's so way great. back when. And I love that you remember like, you know, the actual ice cream you were scooping in the moment and these thoughts started coming through. I do. Well, you know, it's funny because I hadn't thought about that. And I remember I was giving a talk a couple of years ago and somebody asked me that question. And all of a sudden I flashed back to world-class chocolate and I went, Oh my gosh, that was a pivotal moment that I hadn't really given much credit to, you know? And so I've just, I've been in, so thank you for the question. Cause I've been really in this exploratory moment in my life right this year, really of looking at all the teachers and all the angels and the different people that came along in my life that I think have created this body of work. Anise, so I love hearing about all of this and I you know, certainly have benefited from the practice in my own life. I have a question of, it feels like there's a lot of pressure then to always be high, to always be you know, kind of this uh, chipper, happy, positive energy, good vibes only, Where's the space for emotional downs, you know, and, and this, um, you know, where, where's the space for grief for not having a high IEP? Because, you know, to me that I, I know that it's essential that in, in my own personal life that I have some allowance for if I'm feeling low, like to go with the low and not just immediately try to pave over it and be like, oh my God, I'm having a hard day. So I need to shift out of it. But sometimes it's actually about like leaning into it and feeling the downs more. So how does that fit in with this model? I'm so glad you just asked that question because that is part of quadrant two, which is mental and emotional energy. And one of the biggest things we talk about in that particular quadrant is that the emotional authenticity, the lows are just as important, if not more so than the highs. So we talk about getting the support you need, having people in your life that you can go to and go, oh my gosh, I'm having a terrible day. Like I'm supposed to be high energy right now, except for I'm I'm super, super sad or what, whatever is happening. So we point people towards, you know, having what we call their responsible venting partners. So we call them their RVPs. So who's your RVP that when you're you have to lead a meeting and you're not feeling it or you're in a really bad mood or you're ticked off about something, you can actually contact that person and kind of download in a safe space. You can have the emotional authenticity around it. And then from there, go and be responsible about your impact in front of your team or or whatever it might be. Um, We also talk about the value of therapy. 
the value of having really good coaches and friends that you can go to 100% authentically. We also talk about how important it is as a team to be able to name when things are not feeling great. The, the trick with the IEP work is never to be a robot or to spiritual bypass your feelings or to always be high and high vibration at all. That is not the goal here. The goal is to be aware enough that you know when you need the support so that you don't vomit or project that all over your team in unproductive ways. Where you started with this was, you know, for me, yeah, I think there is there is often a demand. Like people will expect me to be really high vibration. I will tell you guys, I cry almost every single day. Like I have, I allow myself full experiences. So if something upsets me or something ticks me off, I allow myself full emotional authenticity around it. I have a couple people in my life that I know I can go to and be super, super honest with and say, hey, can you just talk to me for five minutes? Because this is what's going on. And then the more I give myself permission to really truly have my emotions and my experience, the more authentically I can process through it. And then I get more access to me because I'm not locking anything out. I'm actually now fully arranged for joy, love, amusement, or whatever, and anger or frustration or grief or whatever it might be. So I think that's a really important piece to build in and allow and celebrate that emotional authenticity and to get the support in whatever way is most important. That was a really important distinction. I'm, I'm so glad we covered that. It's super, super important because a lot of times when people do this work, they think that it means you can only be at the top of the energetic xylophone. And I want to be super, super clear that I can be really sad and be in a, in a low state, but still be a contribution to a room. I can still hold the energetic presence that is serving and authentic and contributory in a room, just like I can go in and be in a really high state and really excited and hey there, hi there, ho there. And I can ruin the energy of a room if I'm not conscious and in service of what's happening. And so part of the IEP work is teaching people how to be so in touch with what's going on and what their energetic state truly is but then they are able to shift it on command in service of what needs to happen. And, you know, if I am, say for this conversation, we've got this conversation plan, let's just say three minutes before we get on this call, something happens, I'm in a really foul mood or I'm upset or whatever. It's my job as leader to reboot, show up, take care, you know, like to really show up and contribute here, not be inauthentic, but to be focused and present with you guys and then as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to go and take care of, I'm going to give myself the space to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. So you've got to honor yourself, number one, so you can honor everybody else. Fantastic. Changing gears, I'd love to talk a little bit about your, your, your books. And I know that you recently came out a book titled The Leader You Will Be, An Invitation, and that you're currently working on Contagious You, Unlock Your Incredible Power to Influence, Lead, and Create the Impact You Want. Can you share a little bit about the... Uh, kind of the theses in, in both of these and, and uh, what we can expect? Sure. So the leader you will be, it's different than anything I've ever done. It's basically a storybook. So it's a leadership storybook. It's a poem. It started 10 years ago. I was doing some work with a huge organization. They're having some major cultural issues and very, very long story short, you know, one night after running a bunch of focus groups and trying to get the, at the root of what was going on, I was also in the midst of reading a lot of children's books to my kids because they were little. So one night I'm in my office and I'm gathering all this data and I'm a little frustrated because it's, it's hairy. It's a lot. And I'm going, okay, how am I going to put this all into one succinct thing to share back with the organization so we can create some new programming around it? 
And basically I start with this little poem and it just kind of downloads and it starts, you know, how does a leader inspire the folks? And then all of a sudden I've got these leadership behaviors that we're seeing with the organization that are toxic. And then I have leadership behaviors that, that we're seeing that are actually magical. And that is where the story starts. And so I wrote this poem, I put it away. I didn't think anything of it. I shared it with people over the years, just kind of just didn't think anything of it. And then about three years ago, uh, when we were really, really growing the IEP work, I went back and looked at it again. I was like, oh, let me add some more in. So basically, I built out this poem. It's 1,033 words. And I memorized it. And then I started sharing it on stages. And every stage I shared it on when I would speak, thought that I wrote that poem specifically for their organization. And then people started to ask for a copy of it. And so we decided to make it into a really special picture book. And my team designed it and published it. And, and it's just it's just like a little work of love. So that that's that one. So cool. I like the idea of more storybooks for business. You know, why do kids get all the storybooks? <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? I know. Seriously. And it's, it's like, I don't know if you guys ever, um, the dinosaur, you know, how does a dinosaur clean up his room? Like that was my son's favorite <laughs> book around that time. Or my daughter, actually, this was my daughter's too. Anyway. Um, so yeah, so it just, it just did, was kind of fun. Did, it was, they, uh, did yeah. that, do they, do your kids clean up their rooms now? Uh, yeah, actually they do. That's funny. I have not thought of that, but yes, they do. They're, they're pretty I'm good. I'm making about a it. note. I'm going to buy uh, it on Amazon for my five-year-old. But, What's that? I said I'm making a note to buy that on Amazon for my five-year-old who loves dinosaurs. <laughs> it, yeah, the dinosaur books, David, I cannot recommend them enough. I love those books. And, you know, those books, they, they were, they were kind of like between them and Dr. Seuss and a bunch of others, they were kind of the, what set the cadence for that poem. So we'll get, we'll get you guys some copies. But the, the other book, Contagious You, that is the add-on, to, that's the follow-up to Contagious Culture. So Contagious Culture came out in 2015, and that was um, Contagious Culture show up, set the tone, and intentionally create an organization that thrives. So Contagious You now is taking the reader more deeply into you. It's to, into themselves, like really looking at, all right, I'm contagious. I'm creating the culture. So now what am I going to do about it? And it's funny because I didn't know that I would want to or need to write that book. And the questions that we've gotten since Contagious Culture and the themes that have come back and feedback and requests for more content. And, you know, how do I handle George, which is the guy that we were talking about at the beginning, who's the lowest vibration in the room, comes in, all of a sudden, all the air is sucked out of the room. Like, how do I handle that guy? This book will actually address that. So this book is going to be addressing, you know, how do you strengthen your own IEP? How do you make yourself even more positively contagious? And then how do you have the Georges in your life actually step in and collaborate with you more effectively? Or like, how do you actually do that in a way that you've got the best chance of, of having success there? So that's the one that we're working on now that'll come out in November. Anise, thank you so much for joining. That's all the time we have for today. But I think that this is uh, just such a rich conversation. Where can people go to find out more? Do you have a, one website or multiple websites that people can go visit? Yeah, they can find us on iepmethod.com or anisecavanaugh.com. And they can also actually, if you go to iep.io, iep.io, that will give them a resource where they can download like a free IEP starter kit and presence tools and team tools and all this stuff. So we, we just put that out there for people to get it. So they're welcome to it. We'd love them to have it. Fantastic. This has been really great. I'm so glad we had this chat. Thanks, Anise. Thanks, you guys. It was good to be with you again. I love it. 
We would like to thank our guest today, Anise Cavanaugh, who you can find at IEP.io, where she offers some great resources on IEP. You can also find her at AniseCavanaugh.com. That's A-N-E-S-E-C-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H.com. We'll include that in the show notes as well. We'd also like to thank our producer, Counterweight Creative, our executive producer, David Misney, and Stacey Hurst, our guest coordinator. Please visit 155.com slash podcast. That's the number 15 and the word five for more information on today's discussion, additional resources, and special offers. 